jumping into a new book today. It's exciting. We've studied through the book of Acts. We've seen uh, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, and the lives of people just on full display, people coming to Christ, people being saved. The believers went from Jerusalem and spread the gospel through Samaria to the ends of the earth, um, to Gentiles, to Jews in Samaria, um, in streets and synagogues and homes and uh, even in royal courts. And, and we see the people were from totally different backgrounds, different ethnicities, religious persuasions, cultures. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a Pharisee. Cornelius was a centurion. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was the treasurer. So people very diverse coming to Christ and spreading that good news of Jesus. Would you agree that with background comes baggage? So when you have a background, whatever it is, you bring some of that with you into a next phase of life. And when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you must realize that before coming to Jesus, there was a different life and a different mindset that you had. And you had different experiences in your family, in your culture. Um, there could have been a teacher who impacted you, schools, a church you attended. And some of these practices and traditions, they're very good. Others are in conflict to God's word and what he says. And so that's one purpose of the Lord's word. It's kind of like the instruments that they use up front, the guitar, right? It's a quality instrument, but it has to be in tune. And so every time before they play, hopefully, they tune because they care. They want the sound to be correct, like an A is an A and a C is a C, so that when they're playing together, it harmonizes. And, and God's desire is that our life would harmonize with him. And we bring... We, we, um, an instrument just sitting there can go out of tune all by itself. And there's a lot of pressures on us that are, are, are being put on us to change our tune. But God would have us come back to him and to look at his word and to align ourselves with him and to ensure that even though we know the truth and we're sound in doctrine, well, is that true in my life today? Am I making those choices that honor God? Am I aligning myself with Jesus Christ? Are there lies that I'm believing? Is there a way that I'm not trusting God and I'm just not believing his word? Truth be told, I'm not believing him. And so I'm worried about something. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, if you'll turn there. We've spoken a lot about the missionary journeys of Paul and the people to whom he spoke. And what we haven't really talked about, what happened after Paul left? This book was a letter believed to be written in the late 40s or early 50s. It was intended for distribution in many churches in Asia Minor, places that Paul had visited on his first, second, and third missionary journeys. And after Paul spread the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace by faith, there was a group referred to by many as Judaizers. They were people who came in after he left who attempted to discredit Paul, but also to present a different gospel, claiming that belief in Jesus and obedience to the law was required for salvation. And this false gospel began to get a foothold. And so Paul wrote this in response to that, to rebut this false teaching that was beginning to spread in that region. 
uh, to denounce that legalism that some had adopted. And he em- emphasizes that salvation is by grace, by faith alone, not by works. That's one of the main thrusts of the letter, that we're justified, we're declared righteous before God, we're expunged of all of our guilt because of God's grace. A gift freely given, not because we earn it. And uh, so let's pray and then we'll jump in. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it is true and that we can count on you, the author and finisher of our faith, who will guide us into all truth. Thank you for sending your spirit to fill us and to help us understand what you have to say, that we might apply this word faithfully to our hearts. And Lord, we want to align ourselves with you. We want to be tuned in to what you have to say. Lord, cause us to, to see you with our eyes lifted up, that our, we would bow our hearts before you, Lord, in humility, knowing that we need you and we must be taught by you. Regardless of how much we know or how long we've walked with you, Lord, we need to see you. We need to hear you today. We ask that you would minister to our hearts, and may we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. A word that's going to come up occasionally uh, throughout this book is the word legalism. It's not found in Scripture, but basically it's the concept that our spiritual maturity and our growth depends on us in some way, rather than the grace of God being sufficient. We're going to begin to tease out all what this means and what it uh, more about what it means. We can't possibly get to all of it, but we'll talk about a lot. Um, and it's, impo- it's useful, I think, to define what it means so that we understand. Um, so it, it takes many forms, and it always pushes back against the grace of God. The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, and he thought there was something he could do to inherit eternal life. He said, great, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. So he's thinking, by my effort, I can earn salvation. The Pharisees had another version. They substituted the word of God with the traditions of men. They elevated their traditions and their teachings on par or above that of scripture. Jesus said, you've made the word of God of no effect by your tradition. Another form is that, that probably we're more familiar with is that our good standing with God and blessings we receive from him are based upon our performance. So if something goes wrong, if something's difficult, you wonder what you did to deserve it. Like, what must, what am I doing wrong that these things have happened? Now, in my younger Christian Christian days, I was a legalist in believing that my understanding of the Bible and my practice was the gold standard for all Christians. Oh, boy. Yeah, if I could boil it down for you, if you did not agree with my convictions or my practice, you were wrong. Okay, that's legalism. That's just another way that it shows itself, and it, it's rooted in pride in self and what I think and what I do and how I am pleasing God by making these sacrifices. But you can be doctrinally sound, like you could fill out a form and get an A+, the high distinction on your being able to dis- explain what the gospel is, what justification and sanctification are, but if you're not walking in love, you are in sin. And I was in sin because of my legalism. So unless we walk in, in love, we're missing it. We're missing the whole point of why Jesus has come and what he has spoken. So we'll be in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle 
not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As he does in many letters, Paul identifies himself as an apostle, one who is sent. The twelve disciples Jesus called, he called them apostles as a point of distinction. But the New Testament shows, as we've seen through the book of Acts, that there's many who are called apostles. Even Jesus in Hebrews 3.1 is called the, the apostle of our faith. Um, and since Paul's writing to people who lately rubbished his calling and his authority to teach, he immediately emphasizes that his ordination and his calling was not from men, but from God. At one time, Paul had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a legend in Judaism. He was blameless under the law. He had earned the approval to be a Pharisee, to be in this great position of authority. But his apostleship was different. He didn't earn this position. It was Jesus who called him, who appeared to him, and who taught him. And he says, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, like all power, all authority, God has chosen me to do this. And he greets the brethren with, and he, and he says, the brethren with him. So Paul's not writing this all by himself. There were some people that he was with, and he extends grace and peace from God the Father. And we have to receive grace from God before we can have peace with God. Grace means favor or good standing. That's not deserved. It's not earned. Paul offered grace to Christians who thought they were beyond the need for it. So he gives them grace. Grace is really offensive to our flesh because it's not fair. Now, we don't mind being on the, the benefit side of grace, right? There's something in us that when we receive something good, we're like, finally, recognition. Like, I'm, I'm getting what, what's really been coming to me for a long time. We, do, we don't say, I'm completely undeserving of this. When other people get recognition, there's something in us that kind of goes, well, where's mine? What about me? And we can stuff that down, but that impulse is there. When kindness is shown to others, we can resent it. We can be envious. Think of the parable Jesus told of the good, of the, uh, the prodigal son. The younger son, he's in a pig pen. He's thinking, man, the only chance I have at life is to go back to my dad because I've, I've wasted his inheritance and just to beg to be a servant. I'm not even worthy to be called his son anymore. I'm just going to go and throw myself on his mercy. He rehearsed all these lines. He goes and he sees him. But his dad totally short circuits it because he runs out and meets him and he's given him clothing and putting a ring on his finger and putting shoes on his feet and there's no talk about, well, you know, you're going to have to earn my trust again. Nothing. He just kisses him, and he's hugging him. And he's like, let's celebrate your return. You were dead, and now you're alive. And he's like rejoicing. And We don't hear about the son's reaction, the younger one, but the older one we do. Because when they're having this party, these festivities, he won't even come inside. And his dad's like, man, he goes out and talks to him. What's going on? Well, you know, I've always done what's right by you. You haven't even given me a goat. You know, you've killed the fatted calf for him. You won't even give me a goat to, to just make merry with my friends. 
So he's envious. He's self-righteous. He, he's like, you've been expecting me to do the right thing. I've been doing the right thing, but you haven't even recognized me. He had no peace because he refused to agree with the grace shown his brother. He was beyond, he felt there was no need for grace. I deserve better. And he said, son, all that I have is yours. So we need that, we need to receive the grace of God before we can have peace with God. And Jesus, he's offered sinners forgiveness and salvation by grace. He is our peace, and he's saying, I want to unite myself with you and become one with you, even as I am one with my Father. You think of the nature of Jesus, the Son, and God the Father, and how they are one. He says, I want to be one with you, though you're a sinner, to sanctify you and make you clean and forever be with me. Paul says of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age to deliver us from evil that's why jesus has come and he willingly gave himself for our sins see that he gave himself he didn't just pay with money he gave himself we think it's admirable when people risk their lives to save someone jesus came knowing that he had an hour that would come which meant going to calvary being crucified being betrayed and forsaken by his own people and that he would die on the cross. He gave himself. Jesus hadn't sinned, but he gave his life so sinners could be forgiven and have everlasting life. And not only did he save us from hell, but it delivers us from evil in the present age. Our whole life, we lived in bondage to sin and in darkness. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and he's made us alive now to have fellowship with God. Have you noticed how easy it is to transfer your reliance from one thing to another thing? When we, when life started for me, I began life depending on my parents. I looked to them for everything, for food, for protection. If I was scared at night, they were the ones that I would talk to. They were the ones that when they said something, I believed them. But then as we get older, we begin to depend more and more upon ourselves or other people. I knew someone who kicked an alcohol addiction, but it transferred to chocolate. Uh, we overindulge in eating too much, and then we, we become obsessed with diet and exercise, and that becomes our new thing. You know, we just throw everything into that. We pray for God to provide money, and once he does provide the money, then our security is, is more found in that than even him who gave it to us. It's very strange how we can do this. Jesus came to deliver us from this present world, from our own sinful and self-destructive bent. Praise him for that. What a great God who knows what we need. Verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The format of this letter is a bit different from others because he jumps right into addressing the issue. He doesn't say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Or 
you know, this is the way that I pray for you. He says, I'm amazed how quick you're turning away from Jesus. See that? Turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. It wasn't sound doctrine primarily that they were turning away from. They were turning away from Jesus. They followed Christ at first, but they turned to and heeded teachers who began to preach a different gospel, something else entirely that was impotent to save. They responded to the gospel of grace gladly when they were desperate and when they realized they had a need. But having knowledge, then they turned from Jesus. There's no legitimate alternate gospel. There's only one gospel, just like there's just one Savior. There's one Messiah. There's only one way, one truth, and one life, and that's Jesus Christ. Isn't that compelling? That they would follow Christ, but then begin to heed others in a quest for spiritual growth or for knowledge. And they would actually turn from Jesus in their spirituality. So this is very relevant for us after we've received the gospel, because if they could fall prey to this, so can we, so can I. Paul told the Galatians there were some who troubled them. They wanted to pervert the gospel. Uh, The word trouble, it's like to be agitated like water. It's like muddying the water. And that's something that a false teacher who claims to tell the whole truth will do. It will begin to confuse. And and uh, so he's like, they, they want to trouble you. They want to agitate you. Bringing condemnation and preying on insecurities or fears. Like, oh, what? We don't have it right? Oh, what do we need to do? And looking to these people rather than the word of God and what Jesus has said. I don't know what the Galatians worshipped. I don't know their practices before they came to Christ. But it seems like when Paul came, they responded joyfully to grace. And then when someone else came, they just went right away from it and followed along. Legalism is attractive to the flesh because it's about us and it's about what we're doing. It's about our efforts and our sacrifices, our study. And they were led astray thinking that they were becoming more spiritual and more holy by those sacrifices they were making, by keeping the law, rather than receiving forgiveness by grace and grace alone. They veered from faith, and in doing so, they were hindering others from coming to faith in Jesus. And I wish this tendency was extinct. Like at some point, it had just died out in the church. But I think as long as there's people, legalism is going to be a tendency that we can drift towards. We need to be mindful of it, that we can be deceived. Paul was not the sole teacher of the gospel. He says, we say to you. So he is speaking with the authority of other Christians. Um, If we, if anyone else, even if an angel from heaven comes to you and gives you a different gospel than what we've said, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be excommunicated with prejudice, like cursed. That's really strong language to say. And then he says it again. He says, and I say again. If anyone preaches a different message than what we've given, Let him be accursed. It was a very strong denouncing. I mean, on the strongest terms. So what is the gospel Paul preached? Well, God is righteous. 
He is holy. And man ha has been forever separated from God because of sin and deserving of eternal judgment and wrath. But because God loved the world, he sent his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Acts 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Do you remember his answer? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's it. Very simple. He believed. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. In Acts 16, a jailer, there's this earthquake. Paul and Silas have been praising the Lord. Everyone's listening, except the jailer who was asleep. The, 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 the place is shaken. The doors swing open. The chains fall off. The jailer's like, oh, no, I'm going to have to kill myself because I don't want to be held responsible for these escaped prisoners, seeing the doors open. And Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He runs in trembling and falls for him. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did they say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe. It's placing our faith in Jesus Christ. The primary point is not what the man had to do, but who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's the primary emphasis. Belief that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he is our Savior. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, also which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Foundational, critical, important. He says, and I received this from the Lord, and I'm giving it to you. It's the same now as when I gave it to you. And he confirms it in Romans 10, 8, and 9. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So salvation through the gospel is a gift received by faith. Belief in Jesus, that he is the Son of God. Jesus said, unless... You are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. We are born again, made new creations. When you were a small child, you believed what your parents said, unless you're an extremely cynical small child because they had been lying to you too much or something. I saw a video the other day that really made me sad where some parents were pranking their little child. He's probably three or four and they, they took advantage of his innocence and uh, just the look on his face of like, you guys have been lying to me. It was just, it was awful. I guess he learned a lesson that day. Um, but you believe what your parents said and it wasn't a job to believe them, right? They were your parents and you were their child. It was that simple. It wasn't a work that you did to believe. It wasn't like labor it was very natural because of your relationship with them. If it was hard work, I mean, what, what three-year-old, four-year-old child is capable of what we would say is hard labor? You know, if it was hard work, could a child do it? Probably not. At least not be focused on it. But a kid believes. He believes simply what his parents have said. You didn't choose your parents. They didn't choose you. They maybe knew that you were going to be a boy or a girl, but that was about it. 
And then they got the big surprise when you came on the scene. But the Bible reveals that God knows us. He created us. He loves us. And the disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus got a little child and he put him right in the middle. And he said, and, and a child, remember, had no rights under the law. No rights whatsoever. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That you just humble yourself as a child. When you know what you know, you realize that Jesus is the Son of God and I submit to him. I bow before him and believe that he is the king. We didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. He has come to us. He has called out our name. He's the one who stands at the door and knocks. And he says, open up to me so we can have fellowship together. As having been uh, made aware of our need and his grace that he's extended, we are to respond in belief, to rely upon him for salvation. Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I remember going to a Christian concert as a youth, and, and the minister, there, there was a, I don't know, he was a musician. He was sharing the gospel with the crowd. And someone in the in attendance just stood up and said, Oh, you have to stop right there. You're watering down the gospel. And just created a bit of a scene. It was a bit of a mood killer. Uh, and as a kid, we, we were just calling him the crowd pleaser. You know, just somebody that was, it was kind of a, a long thing. And he kind of broke up the monotony of it. Um, like it just tells you where I was at at that time. Um but he accused the guy of giving a watered-down gospel. See, if a, the gospel is watered down, it's not the gospel. Just like diluted medicine does not promote healing. The Judaizers, they claimed Paul had watered down the gospel. They say, oh, he's making it real easy for you. But you have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the feasts. You have to do these things to be saved. It's just not that easy. Then they... They, because they added to the gospel the requirements of the law, they were actually guilty of watering it down. It wasn't Paul who watered it down. He gave them the genuine stuff. But they watered it down by adding to it, by adding the requirements of the law that had been nailed to the cross with Jesus. And they said, you have to do this to be saved. So they were guilty of the thing they accused him of doing. Paul was a slave of Christ. He follows the example and he preached things that people were not pleased to hear, like the need to repent. That was a key thing that Jesus spoke. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13, I did not call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That was the message that Jesus preached at the beginning. It's what he preached after his resurrection. In Luke 24, he says that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in my name everywhere. So that was a critical aspect. Paul, concluding his his a speech on Mars Hill in Acts 17, 30, and 31. He says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, 
because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, did that message appeal to everybody on Mars Hill, those philosophers? No. So they laughed at him. Most people laughed at him, and others said, well, we'll hear about this later. They put it off. Some believed. But he's saying, if I was going to please men, then I couldn't be following Jesus. And I didn't receive this message from men because it would have been a pleasing message to man about, like, what must I do to say? Oh, do this, this, this. Tick those boxes, you're good. Oh, okay, I can do that. That appeals to us, right? We want to tick those boxes. We want to say, I've done this so I can rest easy. But that's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. The words that Paul says, they're not warm and fuzzy, are they? He's not looking to soothe guilty conscience or offering false hope. Not a, not a sense of security. If you do this, oh, you're fine. If you said that prayer, if you raised your hand, if you went forward, don't worry about it. They needed to repent and believe in Jesus. That's what they had to do. Paul's words were stern. He calls the recipients brethren, though. He, he sees them as brothers. Some had judged him, but he did not wrongly judge them. I like what the Enduring Word Commentary points out. It says, the gospel which was preached by me is a play on words that says the gospel that I gospeled to you. So he gave them the gospel, he spoke the gospel, but he was actually living out the gospel among them. And they could see that uh, he had a changed life. It wasn't, when he received the gospel, it wasn't like a game of telephone. You guys have played that game before where someone on one, someone begins with a statement, you're sitting in a circle, just whispers it to someone else. And I think because you're whispering, you can't really hear clearly and you're supposed to say what you heard. And, and then that, phrase gets passed all the way around until finally, how close is it to what it started with? Now, there's always someone, I think, that changes it on purpose, because it's usually quite humorous by the time it gets to the end. It has no resemblance whatsoever of what it started with. But that's not how the gospel worked. He's saying, I didn't hear it from a scribe who passed it down from a rabbi. No, I got it from Jesus, and I'm sharing it with you, the real thing, the genuine thing. No man dreamed it up. It's not watered down. It's full strength. I wasn't taught by men like I was the law of Moses. I received it as a revelation from Jesus who completely transformed my life. And that's the supernatural power of the gospel and really something that as we walk with the Lord, we can be forgetful of. That God can actually change people and he can change you, like completely transform you. A new creation. Paul continues one in verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Apostle Paul begins to remind them of, remember how I used to be. You know, I used to be a persecutor of the church. I used to try to destroy uh, the, the church that followed Jesus. He was raised in Jerusalem according to the strictest sect of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees had lots of sects, lots of different groups among them, and he was the strictest. He made a name for himself among them, 
about for his zeal, his knowledge, his study, his devotion. And as he began to gain credibility, he advanced within their system. And he was approved by the Jews, approved by the Pharisees to hold that role. In keeping the law, you measured yourself against the law, but also against the teaching of rabbis and other people. You were definitely looking around to see what other people were doing and what you were doing, and if you were you were doing a better job than others. And there were very few who could boast what Paul could, that he was a son of a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, he didn't have any control about that, but those were bragging rights, man. He could He could say, hey, I'm born and bred, and it's in my genes to do this. He had, he was blameless under the law. He taught, it was kind of taught by Gamaliel, a total legend. Coupled with his zeal and knowledge and sacrifices, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one who would come alongside a Pharisee and say, hey, you're getting it wrong. If you want to advance in your spirituality, you know, get your act together. He would correct Pharisees. So he, he had attained the pinnacle of that religious group. Not only that, but he, if he saw Jews that were moving away from Judaism, even in foreign countries, he would get authority from the chief priest to pursue them, to bind them, and bring them back to Jerusalem for judgment. I mean, this guy was just wild. He had some energy to per- pursue those who, uh, who went against Moses and the law. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Verses 13 and 14 focus on what Paul had attained, his efforts. I did this, I did that. But verse 15 is about all what Jesus did for Paul. You see that change there? God knew Paul. He called him. And he revealed Jesus in him. That is so awesome. Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus as he was breathing out threats and murder against Christians. But after he believed on Jesus, repented of his sins, was filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus was revealed in Paul's life. This murderous, angry, vengeful man. Matthew Henry said this, It will but little avail us to have Christ revealed to us if he is not also revealed in us. So you had a vision. So you have knowledge. But is Jesus being revealed in you? In and through your life. Paul had clawed his way to the pinnacle of Judaism. Where there was nowhere else to go except, you know, being Moses himself. Which he couldn't. But Paul called God out of his dead works to a risen and living Savior who is Christ the Lord through his grace. Some people say, well, Paul was the perfect guy to choose because he was so zealous. Wrong. He was not chosen because he was zealous. He was chosen by grace. Not because he was a legalist. No, God chose him out of grace. He didn't earn it. 
He couldn't, he couldn't achieve anything. But he was humbled by the Lord and was called and responded. It wasn't because he was a hard worker or a zealous man. He saved him by grace. And he saved the Galatians by grace. And he saved us by grace too. None of us deserves to serve God, much less be called a son of God. But God's gracious to us and he loves us and he seeks us out. He wants to reveal himself to us and in us. After Paul was confronted by Jesus, it says he did not turn around and go back to Jerusalem. He's not comparing notes with the apostles. Instead, he goes into the wilderness in Arabia. And he's between Arabia and in Damascus. He was there for three years. Now, this is not really the format that we would suggest for anybody, right? Like when you're born again, like, yeah, go out into the far reaches of a desert for three years without the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ, without, uh, you know. But Paul was a unique case in that Jesus had appeared to him. He had been given the Holy Spirit, and he had this wealth of knowledge of the Word. He had committed so much of it to memory, and he had the Word of God, And with this revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ, it put a whole new outlook on the scripture. So he, and in another place, he said, it's not even required that men teach you. You've been taught by God to love one another. I think it was to the Thessalonians that he wrote that. Basically, he spent time in fellowship with a God, with God that he had always worked to please. Now God had come to him and revealed himself to him. And in his word, he, he had fellowship and communion with the God that he had only seen from afar. Now that God lived within him. And it was amazing. God spoke to him and revealed the truth through the word. Because Paul, when he went to the synagogues, he didn't just say, God made a re-. He revealed himself to me and this is the word. He always went to the law and the prophets to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God saved him, God taught him. God kept him from veering into falsehood. And then he returned to Jerusalem. And he just met Peter for a friendly 15-day talk. You know, they chatted together, they visited. He said, I didn't see any other uh, apostles except James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus. He, no one could say that, oh, you went to that college and you're just parroting what you've heard. It's like, no. That wasn't how it went at all. God revealed himself to him. Verse 20. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God in me. Paul puts himself under an oath, really, saying, I'm speaking this before God to be true. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. I haven't received the gospel through lectures, uh, but through Jesus Christ. And I can affirm and know that the gospel that I gave to you is genuine. It is true. Now, Paul was well known as a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church, but it says unknown by face to the churches in Judea. So the churches that were spread out throughout the region, they had only heard of Paul. Oh, have you heard of that guy? Yes, Saul of Tarsus. Oh, yeah, he's he's on a rampage. We got to be careful. You know, we don't want to. 
have him in our midst. You know, he's going to bind us and take us back to Jerusalem. So he had this reputation that had spread. But people, when he walked through the door, had no idea, like, that was him? This is the guy that we had heard about? That who's the one who's just rampaging all over Judea, seeking to imprison people, uh, uh, agreeing for their death when Stephen was stoned? This is that guy that we were all afraid of? That we were all worried that he was going to come? He just humbly came in the authority of Jesus. And he wasn't proud. It says he came among them trembling, preaching Christ crucified. People were amazed and glorified that a man who once persecuted Christ was now contending earnestly for him in the synagogues, in the homes. And he was saying, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And their rejoicing wasn't primarily in Paul and what he was doing, but the work that God had obviously done in him and was doing through him. So they praise God for this testimony. Jesus transforms lives through the gospel. I talked with a couple uh, a couple of years ago, and, and the wife had become a, a Christian years before the husband. And so I asked the husband, I said, so what was different about your wife when she was born again? And he just, without hesitation, he's like, oh, she's a totally different person. One day she goes to, you know, just on a normal errand and comes home different. Like, really, she's not the same. And this took, you know, years of him really looking into it and just saying, something's very different here. Could Jesus possibly be the reason why she is just not the same person? But beautiful in every way. Just in a good way. Not like, you've changed and it's not for the better. It's the opposite. She changed, and it was for the better. Not perfect, but God had done something. And that's such a great testimony, where God calls Saul the Pharisee, and he makes him Paul the Apostle, takes this guy from Judaism and sends him to the Gentiles, right? He takes Peter the fisherman, and he makes him a fisher of men. Like, you don't have to worry about those nets, Peter. I'll teach you how to catch men. It's in the heart of men to work for their own advancement. But when we humble ourselves before God in faith, he lifts us up and he puts us in a place where he wants us. Christianity is not what about we do or what we don't do, but who Jesus is and his glory revealed in us. And he can do that in so many ways. This book of Galatians, it's a warning we don't turn away from Jesus. It's an exhortation that we would walk in the truth of the gospel. Could you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It's really a passage dripping with gospel truth. And though we don't have time to expound upon this really with any detail, may the Holy Spirit just minister to our hearts. If you're like me, sometimes when you've heard something before, you can just tune out. You just, you're not quite as engaged as something that's brand new. But this may just hit us with a freshness today. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. 
not conforming yourself to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Does your hope fully rest upon the grace revealed through Jesus? We cannot earn, we don't earn forgiveness by our repentance. It's kind of a weird thing, right? You're like, well, I've repented, I have paid my dues, and so I deserve to be forgiven. No. We're forgiven by grace. Repentance is the way. We are saved by faith, not by works. So you don't earn forgiveness. You don't earn salvation. Compelled by the love of God for us, that he's revealed himself. Now that we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are to live a holy life that pleases him. We ought to reflect him as we submit to him. Continuing in verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There are so many aimless traditions that we have been saved from, and there's many aimless traditional ways of thinking that we can still be enslaved to. And God wants us to align with his truth, to receive that grace that he's given, and that we would uh, recognize what God has done so we can be with him by sending Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus has always been, but do you see that? He was manifested in these last times for you. Maybe pretty cool to think about, oh yeah, Paul, Jesus appears before him, he falls down, he has this revelation, he's blind for three days, we kind of forget about that, but like, I want to see a revelation of God. He has been manifested for you, who through him believe in God. Like God has revealed himself. He has shown his grace to you. And what's the last part there in verse 21? Believing in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That our faith and our hope is in God alone. Our faith is not in ourselves and our abilities and the things we've done, our sacrifices, what someone else says. Our faith is in God and our hope is in God. My hope is not in things changing, me feeling different. My hope is in God. My faith and hope are in him. Because see what he's done. He's revealed himself to me. He has given his life for me. How awesome the gospel is. Following Jesus is not like, it talks, Paul talks about a race in some of his letters. And, and if you've ever seen uh, the oval, you know, the Olympics or something, you've got the starting line here for that 100 meter dash, and you've got the finish line here. Well, the gospel isn't like that where you start here, and then you're getting on new territory or new ground, and the finish line is in a different place. In one sense, the gospel, it's the starting line, it's the path, it's, we need to lay hold and remain in the gospel to stay on the path. The gospel is what enables us to move forward, 
but it's also what gets us to the end so we finish well. The gospel is critical to every part of our Christian walk. Beginning, direction, finish. How amazing that God would choose us and call us, that he would reveal himself to us, and that when we go our own way, he cares enough to correct us and to draw us back to him. So all praise to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for sending Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you for the transformation that you have made in our lives, for the, the example we have in the life of Paul, that you've changed him. And Lord, for us in this room, there's not one of us who have been born again, who have not been changed. Uh, but Lord, in this world where we are, uh, it, is a, it is an evil age. And there are many pressures to conform, to be like this world. Lord, we ask that you would continue transforming us by the renewing of our mind. That regardless how long we have known you or we have called you, Lord, Father, I pray that by your grace, you would reveal yourself in us. You would change us. You would renew and refresh us. You would cause us to be your faithful ambassadors and servants wherever we go. That we would be, our hope and our faith would rest in you alone. Lord, we would not look to our own works. We would not uh, be legalists, but we would choose to receive your goodness by grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your gospel, for your love and for the life that you've given us through Christ. Thank you for the light and the freedom and the deliverance you have made. We just rejoice and praise you, Lord. Words cannot express our thankfulness, but may our lives express it in practical ways. In Jesus' name, amen.